You're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast. And one of the questions I get asked the most is, has your husband always been on board with your holistic lifestyle or was it something he came to himself? Well, today I brought him onto the podcast and we dive deep into his journey from mainstream conditioned thinking to being the health aware, conscious man he is today and how and why that's impacted our relationship. A really beautiful way to end the season and to end the year. personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Welcome to the Reconditioned Podcast where I use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world to take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans. I'm Lauren Vaknin, leading wellness and transformation coach. And following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true long-lasting well-being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. Before we get stuck into the uninterrupted episode, I wanted to let you know why I am such a huge fan of the company supporting this season of Recondition, the Endo Clinic in Harley Street, who specialize in biological dentistry. Now, you might recall me speaking about my journey with biological dentistry, both here on the podcast and over on my Instagram, and all of it was conducted over at Endo. So those of you who have been here for a while will remember that I was suffering from trigeminal neuralgia, which is otherwise known as the suicide disease, and it really was that bad. And three dentists over 18 months had told me it was nothing to do with my teeth. But after a colleague told me about biological dentistry, and I'd been reading numerous books on the subject, and I watched the film Root Cause, which I highly recommend you all watching, I found the Endo Clinic, and they absolutely ticked every box I was told to look for. And I really was told to tick off these boxes to ensure that they were genuinely taking a biological approach to dentistry. So that's everything from safe mercury removal protocols to ceramic inlays and ceramic implants and a general health optimization approach. They use absolutely no metal at all. They work on the basis that our immune function is lowered during dental procedures, which is just something that you don't get at all with conventional dentistry. The possible connection between my health concern and dentistry was found in the first consultation. Again, something that all these other dentists and facial pain specialists at honestly some of London's top hospitals were not able to see. Because what they know is that previous dental treatments can lead to jaw cavitations, something that only those who are trained in biological dentistry know how to look out for. Now during my procedure I was given IV vitamin infusions, 
ozone therapy and this state-of-the-art plasma PRF treatment, which was all to ensure that we were giving the body the very best chance to heal. And there's also a whole pre-treatment protocol as well. Anyone who listens to this podcast will know how much my life's journey has been about health optimization. So this was just revelatory to me. And the trigeminal neuralgia went away the very next day. And it's not just facial problems. We now know that up to 70% of chronic health conditions can be as a result of conventional dentistry treatments and misconceptions surrounding oral care. I honestly recommend this clinic to everyone I know. And if you are experiencing any dental, facial or chronic health problems, or you just want your teeth looked after by a team who truly understand the long-term way to keep teeth and gums healthy, go to nduclinic.com. The clinic are offering a 10% discount off your initial consultation for anyone who mentions coming through Lauren. And this will include a dental exam, x-rays, 3D scans, and even your first hygienist appointment. So that is nduclinic.com. Thank you to Endu. I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode with my husband, Daniel. It was actually his idea to do this episode. We've been talking about it for a while and we finally made it happen. Got our shiznik together. And just want to preface before we go into the episode that I apologize once again about the sound quality. There's something up with my computer and none of the mics would connect. I'm now doing these intros without a mic because I'm finding that the computer is just picking it up more easily. So I will have to figure that out and get it all sorted by the next season. Although the first episode of next season has already been recorded and that is also bad sound quality. So I apologize and I just hope that it doesn't affect the experience for you too much. Um, so I just wanted to preface that. So yeah, Daniel and I recorded this episode and it was a really interesting experience, I guess, because we do communicate a lot. I mean, our journey to where we are now has been about communication, has been because of communication. Obviously sitting down in this way, in a more formal setting was interesting, but it made me so proud of him in a very non-condescending way because this was, I guess, a real profound moment for him doing this. It was just the next step in his initiation to sovereignty, I think. So this year, although he's been doing the work for a while, it's been this year that he's really actually stepped into giving up the behavior, the conditioned behaviors and moving into behaviors that are based on the authentic self that he has found in the last year or so. And one of those was getting a tattoo. We got matching tattoos of the symbol for Shiva and Shakti, the masculine and feminine. We got the triangles on our fingers. And one of his conditionings was about not having tattoos and so he broke that and it was a major moment for him just this little tattoo on his finger he's since got another one now <laughs> and this is him really stepping into his authentic self after doing the work and we talk about it all in the episode and what that actually means and how he came to it and you know we did it because as I said in the intro I get so many people ask me oh Daniel sounds great was he always like that did you make him like that you just don't make a person like anything and that's the point they have to come to it and I think you can facilitate that journey and because it's such a huge part of what I do and it's my everything I'm modeling it all the time so if it was his destiny his dharma to come to it he was going to come to it based on living with me and you know being in partnership with me but equally if it's not someone's dharma they won't come to it and then 
we have to accept that the next phase of our destiny, of our path, is to acknowledge that perhaps separation from that partnership is the next logical step and that's not always a bad thing. We have to see energetic deaths and rebirths as part of life. And what's interesting that I've found is that I always get called to certain things at certain times and then everything revolves around that same thing. So whether it's health related or whatever it might be. And in the last year, it's been women. People have been approaching me most and I've been working with most has been women in relationships that are no longer serving them. And it's been working with them to try and come to terms with whether they are in this partnership based on their authentic selves and there is something to salvage. And how can we do that? Because there are ways to do that if there is truly something to salvage. Or perhaps it's the time to acknowledge that this part of their journey has come to an end. And this is the time for a large energetic death and shedding to make way for the rebirth. And we see these deaths as a bad thing, you know, divorce, separation as a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just the next part of our journey. We don't learn and evolve without having these huge energetic deaths. So, you know, sometimes your partner will not come to to the work. And for me, and we speak about this in the episode, we nearly got to that because I was at a point of thinking, well, I'm so out of alignment from this partnership. This My partner isn't in alignment with anything I do. How can you exist like that? For me personally, I don't ever want to be in a relationship where we're just kind of living together and existing together, but we're not in alignment. That's, that's just not what I want from partnership. I think partnership can be or should be something so deep that enhances your life, brings out the absolute best in you. You challenge each other to the death. I mean, you know, we do talk about in this episode how sometimes it's harder being in, in what we call sacred union because you're challenging each other all the time you're initiating journeys and going through things that other people kind of living the standard narrative of getting married young and you know it's just you go about your days as you go about your days might not be facing those things and we push ourselves to face these things and sometimes it's harder because the things we're going through and having to come through and having to manage are really challenging but I would take that every day over stagnation and over mediocrity so um It was so interesting hearing Daniel's perspective and I really hope that you guys will get so much out of it. So the the intention really, there, there were a few intentions for this episode. Number one, to encourage men to move more deeply into their divine masculine, to open up to their emotions and their vulnerabilities, which is something Daniel was really passionate about helping men do now. Number two, I suppose, to help guide single women to know what feels right in a relationship and what feels wrong and when it's not right. And for those in partnership to be able to enhance their partnership or again, to know when it's the time to move on. Or equally, how to be able to bring your partner to the work when you're doing the work and they're not, if they're meant for it. And so just to follow on from that, I will be doing a very, very powerful workshop in the new year around healing. It's going to be healing the masculine and feminine. It's a couple's workshop and it's going to be so powerful and so emotional and so profound for healing relationships. It's going to be 15 couples and I will be posting information about this on my emails. If you're not subscribed to my newsletter, please go to the website laurenvacneencoaching.com and make sure you're subscribed and keep up to date on my Instagram as well at laurenvacneen and you'll find out more about that because it'll be super, super powerful and I will probably do them a few times a year because I've already had so much interest before I even actually promoted them because everyone wants to be able to heal their relationship in a conscious, holistic 
way where we're actually acknowledging each other and learning from each other. So that was it. And yeah, once again, sorry for the sound quality. And this will be the last episode of the season and of the year. And we'll be back in January. So happy new year. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Whatever it is you're celebrating. If you're not celebrating, enjoy your time. Enjoy time with family and friends and equally try and enjoy time alone, which is so important also. And I am sending you all love and a huge, huge thank you and so much gratitude to those of you who have stuck with me this year and supported the podcast and listened and downloaded and been a part of this journey with me. I I have loved every second of it, all the guests and the episodes of my own. And when you guys get in touch with me and you give me feedback, back and you tell me the episodes that you love so I know what to do more of thank you thank you thank you for being here I can't tell you how much gratitude I have for you enjoy this episode you're gonna get so much out of it okay so I am here with my husband Daniel and um we've kind of been hoping to do this for a while haven't we 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 have it's exciting I'm really pleased to be here and uh you know I just wanted to to first of all say to you thank you for for bringing this podcast to us I'm, I'm proud of what you've achieved with, with the reconditioned podcast and all the people that hear this message so yeah super excited to do an episode with you thank you and actually this episode was actually your idea wasn't it mm, yeah it was and a question i get asked a lot is was daniel always conscious or did you make him like that but it's way more nuanced than that isn't it so let's actually start here were you always conscious well that is the interesting question. Um, I just want to go back sort of a little bit before as to, to what you said about me wanting to do this, because I think it's important to, to touch on that. So I've been on a, a spiritual journey, or what I call a, a journey, for the last four to five years. And certainly what I've been noticing is when it comes to consciousness, spirituality, wellness, um, anything in a sort of holistic world, there's definitely a lack of men present. And I've been listening to um, two podcasts recently, and whether the hosts are are male and female, what you tend to sort of notice is that 90% of the audience is is female. So there really is a, a lack of men out there in this space wanting to sort of allow themselves to, to be in touch and open up to an amazing world that, that is available to them. And then I think in, in, in my personal life as well, I've, I've definitely found that, and you know I have, you know, as I've been growing and, and on this journey of self-development, I've found that there's definitely a, a lack of people to, to connect with in, in my community, in my circle, um, and I love having these open conversations and and really being in touch with people so it's just hopefully bringing it to more people bringing in awareness and maybe to any of the female listeners that that have husbands that want to open up more or a bit bit more afraid to ask the questions then you know let's let's see where this goes and where we can take it i agree i think what i've seen in the podcasting world is that men on the and you do have this kind of small percentage, maybe five to ten percent of men that are into health and growth podcasts, um, and they love them. But on the whole, men are listening to business podcasts, um, comedy podcasts, football podcasts, um, stuff like that, and um, it is really interesting looking at it. And 
we'll get into that later because that of that is also very much to do with kind of masculine and feminine energies and what men operating from their shadow masculine are actually led by. But let's go back into this where you're always conscious. So the short answer of that is is no. I would love to to say yes and um, you know I'd be in a very very sort of different place. But we we all come to it when we're ready uh, and when the time's right and. I think for me, there have been a series of events along the way that brought me to this. And I think as far back as I can, I can remember, there, there were things that happened that I never questioned as to it being strange. Um, I, I was brought up in a normal middle class family, two brothers and a sister. We had a dog, it was very, very nice. We were from a loving, supportive environment. Um, but like most families, we were taught the values that you work hard, you be successful, um, success brings power and security and, you know, you conform to, to the rules of society and you don't think outside the box. I, ironically, years later, I, uh, I found that my mum was, was quite spiritual or she'd seen clairvoyants and um, spiritualists and, and healers which she hadn't quite told me about. So that's something we, we now sort of share on, on occasion. But um, yeah, my, my life was very mainstream, very far from consciousness. And I grew up thinking that I had to work very, very hard and I had to support my family. And, you know, that was that was the goal. And that was certainly what I had in mind for, for where my life was going. But I can remember some instances where one particular... Sort of early on, I think it was about 23, and I was on a date with somebody that um, I knew a little bit about their background, and I knew that they had spiritual dealings, but I didn't quite know what spirituality was. And um, I remember we were sitting there, and we were having dinner at this restaurant, and I could see that she was quite distracted um, sitting next to us, there was this lady, she must have been in her 60s, she was dressed very elegantly, I mean, uh, it wouldn't look like a, um, a Hollywood celebrity or a Hollywood star back in, you know, the, the 50s or 60s. She was quite gaunt looking, a lot of makeup, um, a lot of plastic surgery, and she, she certainly looked unhappy in her sort of disposition and, and sitting there and... I just noticed as I was talking to, to this girl that she was transporting her mind somewhere else. And I just said to her, are you communicating with this lady next to you? And she said, yes, you know, she's, she's very unhappy and she's, she's trying to communicate with me. Hold on, you, you've missed the whole part of the context that you already knew that this girl was a medium and very, this girl you were on a date with. Well, Otherwise, I, I, why would you have said, well, actually, are you communicating with this lady? Actually, this was 10 years before she was a medium. Sorry, we have to apologise for this background noise. We're living at Daniel's parents' house at the moment while we renovate, and that is the noise of the garage door going up and down, so apologies. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to practice that. Um, so, yeah, she, she, she was a, a medium, um, and she became a medium, but this was, this was 10 years before she'd started any of that. So, you know... During conversation of the evening, she said, you know, she she was into sort of um, spiritualism and, and she connected with other people. But I had no idea what that meant. 
So this was completely new to me, and it was was me that actually sort of led in with that, and that was. I remember thinking, okay, well, this is normal. Some people obviously have these abilities, and I didn't question it. And then I think the next thing sort of I I, I had that, that was a bit unusual is obviously you and I were were getting together, and there were lots of quirks that came with you. Um, what a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I, I, I put it diplomatically. And you were part of the spiritual circle, and you had lots of crystals. And you know, for me, I just thought crystals were expensive rocks people have in their homes but I remember you used to see spirits uh, around the house and you know that was just something I didn't question I didn't find unusual um, I do remember saying please don't tell me I was a little bit worried but you know it, it, it was quite normal so you know these were things that made me realize in hindsight when I came to where I am now that there was a journey along the way that um, I didn't question and I saw. And obviously, this was something the universe sort of leading me into to where I am now. And I, I say my journey has been sort of the last four to five years, but that's been my conscious journey. I think we start our journey subconsciously. Um, so we get to, to, to where we want to be. And then we got together and we went to hypnobirthing. And I know that we can have a whole conversation about hypnobirthing and, and birthing in another episode, but this was a, a real turning point for me. Uh, I remember you booked hypnobirthing, and I, I knew very little about birth. I knew very little about the man's role, and very even less about the woman's role, and you know what goes into it, and emotions, and feelings, and the biology of it. I, I think that we as you know people aren't prepared at all they should teach us about pregnancy and you know the emotional side of it and you know not just conception and, and the biology of it um, so I remember you saying we're going to do hypnobirthing and all I heard was the word hypno and I thought what is this mumbo jumbo she's got me doing now and you told me it was a two-day course and I and I remember I turned to you and I said I'm not spending two days of my weekend doing a hypnobirthing That was course. actually when we arrived at her house to do it and you thought it was just one day and you were like, what? This is my whole weekend. Yeah, I, I felt like I'd been ambushed. Uh, so I turned up at, at this house and we did this two-day course and we went through the whole process and I have to tell you, I came out of that probably the biggest fan of hypnobirthing and that was a huge change for me because I felt I'd gone from all this conditioning I had about being a man and what we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to be and birth isn't for men and I'm in my masculine energy to, wow, I've just learned a whole load of things here that, you know, it, it's a world that's opened up. It's, it's opened me to my, you know, feminine energy. It's got me in touch with what my place is in, in birth, how special it is, how I can support you. The, you know, the whole part of hypnobirthing and, you know, I think the name is misleading because there was very little hypnosis there at all, if any, but it prepares the man for... Let's say the partner. Correct. It prepares the partner for um, what to expect, how to be there. It went through every part of, you know, the biology, how you feel, what your needs would be. 
how your body is designed to birth, how we are prepared as you know humans to bring this life into to the world and what roles we play. And you know, even to the point of navigating the medical um, bureaucracy and how that all works and, and what you need to say, because you can get swept up with the whole moment. And, and I came out of this and I just knew with absolute clarity that you were the most incredible woman. You were supporting our baby, providing this environment. To, to nurture, to love our baby, and everything you were sacrificing and compromising to do this, and what my position was. So my position was purely to be there to support you, to give you everything you needed to make you comfortable. And, you know, Danny Diosi, who, who was our teacher at, at that time, I just couldn't get on quick enough to write her a reference. And I would recommend this to any partner, you know, it is it is the most incredible, empowering thing to do. And I remember walking out of there just thinking, wow, this is incredible. I'm ready. So when the time came, you know, we we went into to hospital and I remember you wanted a home birth with Braxton and I, I wasn't there yet. I wasn't ready. I was nervous. So Yeah, think... but then we decided for the water birth at the birthing centre and after doing the course, we were like, You sure we should we not do a home birth? Uh, yeah, you're right. I, th I, th I think because I, I wasn't afraid of birth. This is the thing. When you watch TV and when you listen to people talking about birth, it's it's strenuous, it's hard, it's you need drugs, it's painful. And look, I, I can't really talk about anybody else's experience because I've only been present at your birth. And I'm sure there are lots of different types of, of labours. And, you know, I, I don't want to take that away from anyone else, how hard it is. But before we even go into it, we are conditioned that birth is hard yeah. and it's painful. So I was nervous. And coming out of hypnobirthing, I didn't have those nerves. I knew with full clarity what happened, why it happened, and where I was going to support that. So, yeah, I, I suppose I did change to, to feeling more confident about a, a home birth. But we decided on, you know, a water birth at the birthing centre in the hospital. And we, we went in there and... You know, it was wasn't an easy labour in terms of time. It was twenty four hours. Uh, and he was back to back. Uh, he was. Really he was back to back. But we did it together as a partnership. And I knew the massages to give you. I knew the breathing techniques to work with you. Even the affirmations of you know your body is designed to birth this. You will support and birth your baby. All of these things that we did together. I took complete charge of the medical staff, telling them when and where to come in. I made sure that there weren't too many of them in the room. I made sure the lights were dim, you know, and it, it was beautiful. And, and we were really lucky because we had, we happened to have a midwife, you know, NHS hospital, but she happened to also be trained in hypnobirthing. And it was a really quiet night. And so there were no other women on the birthing suite. And so she was totally dedicated to us. And so we got her fully without anyone else coming in who was really mainstream. And would have tried to, because we had a story of a friend who, when they went into the hospital, they saw the file and went, the midwife went, oh, she's a hypnobirther. And instantly what happens to your stress levels and, you know, how your body is responding to the birth is, is fear in that instance. So we were really fortunate in that respect. And I do want to give you my gratitude because you were 
sensational just through the whole thing and I, and I and I do always say like you were my doula you, everything that you could have done you did and I also think that well a couple of things from what you've said that was the turning point for you well let's get to that in a minute but I think doing hypnobirthing course and we were you know at the end of the pregnancy it was at that point where you kind of looked at me and you went oh okay I get everything you've been doing down to how I prepared my body for pregnancy how I managed you know the IVF drugs as holistically as I could the way I was eating and and then I, I think you even looked at me and had some sort of um gratitude or I don't know some you know understanding appreciation for everything I'd done with my body up until that point because then you understood what it was offering our baby and so there was that element to it but I do think that that was your initiation into really understanding my my way of life and to go back to what you said like at the beginning you did always have a respect for it like one of the first things you ever bought me we've been dating a few months you went to a crystal shop and bought I'd gone away for the weekend and you I came back and you bought me crystals like who you know someone who's not at all conscious doesn't do that so you didn't have an understanding of it but you did have a respect for it as long as I kind of didn't push you too much I think I, I, look, I was definitely open to it and I think you know I was just naive to it all I didn't understand what it what it was and I was open to, to learning I think the the more we went along I saw it come out further and further in the beginning it was just these stories that you would tell me and as our relationship developed and time went past it, it actually became our lifestyle and I mean I remember I I was adamantly sort of angry with you trying to impose things on me and I thought look I respect you and I'm all on board as long as you stay in your lane I'm, I'm happy with that uh, so although I was open it, it it became more and more frustrating as we evolved together with this lifestyle that that sort of consumed us looking back on it now I you know I, I completely sort of wish I'd been very different to that and treated it in a different way and been where I am now but as I say, in the really, consciousness aspect or in the health stuff or all of it all of it absolutely all of it you know one of the things that I think it was just it was fear you know I used to I was very very unhealthy I used to smoke 30 cigarettes a day I would drink I would I loved food. I would eat very, very unhealthy food. Um, I wasn't aware of nutrition at the time. So, you know, I think I'd, I'd eat lots of fruit thinking that that was really good and, and healthy. And then for you me. went and got a juicer and you had a bit of an obsession with juicing at one point. Yeah, you I, gave that I, up. I got obsessed. There were a lot of things that you started. There's a lot of things that I like the idea of and I like the, the colour of it and the, the excitement of it, but uh, it, it didn't last. But you know, I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest obstacle was health. I just couldn't understand how looking after your body or looking after yourself created 
an energetic vibration that led to wellness and happiness. Isn't it crazy? Let's just take a moment there because what I like to do back then it was just like an argument, but now I try, you know, also now as an NLP practitioner, I'm trying to really always put myself in other people's brains. Like how are they perceiving this situation? Not how am I perceiving it, because we all perceive things so differently, but it's so interesting that you didn't think that your actions would have a direct effect on your future health. And like, is that how most people are thinking and why they're not doing the things we're doing or why they think we're crazy? Or It's just, it's crazy to me that you could, that a person could even think, how ridiculous that she's telling me what I eat will have an impact on my health. Like, just crazy to me because I've been doing this since forever. I think that we... We all have a set of beliefs, and those beliefs are created from our upbringing, from the world we're in, from schools we go to, to the, the adverts and commercials we see, and we believe that we should live our lives in a particular way. And, you know, happiness is an external factor um, that, that changes our reality. When in fact it's not, you know, it's it's everything internal. I remember I was doing all of those things, and you told me I shouldn't smoke, and it wasn't good for me. And you told me, you know, I need to eat more consciously. I need to to be active and healthy. And I remember thinking, you're asking me to give up all of the things I love and make me happy. I loved smoking. Um, you know, I loved that time I had. I loved drinking. You know, I liked the taste of it. I hated any strenuous activity, going to the gym, and it, it would just ruin my day. And the thought of that changing, you know, it, it, it overwhelmed me. And I thought, how could that possibly make me happier? It's, it's making me unhappy just thinking about it. Now, I mean, my life is, is completely different. And, you know, I'm so connected to everything I do, my body, my mind, my soul. You know, I run every day. I have cold showers. That was going to be one of the things. If you uh, if you ask me the famous question of what have I done to support my wellness this morning? Yeah, we didn't do that. Um, you know, I read a lot. I go to the gym as much as possible. The reading's a massive thing because that was also. I've always been a big reader, and we used to sit down. And I used to go, "Oh, no, you need a book," and I didn't want to nag, and you'd be going, "Stop nagging," and I just wanted someone I wanted you to be sitting there with me reading a book educating yourself and it was a case of well am I the right person for you because I'm not doing any of the things that you want me to do and you want me to be someone I'm not I think there was always something intrinsically in me that knew that it wasn't that this is who you are not it was that you were living inauthentically you weren't you hadn't reached your truth and I know people listening now are thinking okay so what was it that made the shift and I want to go into that but before we go into that I want to talk about conditioning because you've spoken about it a lot. Can we speak about brass frames? <laughs> we can speak about brass frames. Shall I preface that? Go on. So we have this thing that it's in Daniel's uh, parents' house, which is where we are living at the moment. Shout out to them, um, who, by the way, are amazing people. And his mum. Thank you, mum and dad. <laughs> um, his mum's just brilliant, and um, yes, very. You know often into spiritual things and was actually the one that originally introduced me to um, the Hare Krishna temple where Daniel and I now, you know, are a big part of. So 
Um, but I suppose on the periphery for your mum a little bit, it's she's very happy in the way she comes to it. Um, and in, so in their house, when I first met Daniel, um, I say first met, we met when we were 11 because we were in school together, but we didn't get together until... People usually think we're childhood sweethearts yeah, when we say we were in schools, of, school together. But pictures of us together in our school. But we school. met 10 years after leaving again. Yeah, we got, we got together 10 years after leaving. So when I got with Daniel, I used to come to his house. On the um, stairs, in the hallway, in the stairs, there were pictures, big blown-up pictures of all the boys at their bar mitzvahs in brass frames. And when we had Braxton and we were getting these, we had this photo shoot done, this like you know, newborn photo shoot, and we were getting the pictures blown up, he went, right, so we'll go and get some brass frames then. And I said, what? And basically what it was is that that was Daniel's idea of success. How success looked to Daniel was the way that his parents um, came to success. And so they've got a beautiful house and they had the brass frames and they had all these things. That was that, but that was then. That was the 80s, right? And the early 90s. So, but Daniel hadn't moved out of the conditioning to think, well, who am I? What do I like? There's nothing wrong with brass frames, but we've moved on from brass frames, from like this 80s and 90s style. And so I said to him, what do you mean, Brian? Like, how is your brain working that you cannot perceive that there could be something different or a different option for our house that we're creating other than brass frames? Because it wasn't about the brass frames. It was about everything. It was about his complete conditioning and how every decision he made was based on conditioning, not based on his inner truth and his authenticity. So now we joke every time he says something that's based on conditioning, I, I go, brass frames. <laughs> They they were nice brass frames. Yeah, I, look, like I said in the beginning, I I was raised that you work hard, success is measured financially. You know, security comes with that and power. My my parents had a nice house. We had a nice family. We had nice holidays. And for the longest time, and you know, I spoke to you when we got together. I wanted a house in the town that they had a house. I wanted a similar house. You wanted I, to buy their house. <laughs> I, I did try and buy their house, but my, my dad is, is going to finish his days in this house, so that wasn't possible. I think he, he part of the deal was he had to build a flat uh, over the top and, and live here, which it's wasn't, which, which wasn't going to work. But, um, you know, I, I wanted the similar style cars. I even wanted the same amount of kids uh, and, until, obviously, I was introduced to how hard that actually was. Um, and... You know, these brass frames represented where I wanted to go in life. So everything now that is conditioning and even, you know, something simple, like when we're sitting together and you tell me that you want to go somewhere and I have this preconceived idea about this particular place or this person that really has no bearing to the reality of, of the event itself. We just sort of say brass frames because... We, we give this energy and we give this power to an idea or a belief. And it's just that. They are just ideas and they are just beliefs and perceptions. We all start this world, or the, for the vast majority of us, we, we start with the equal ability. You know, we have the same organisms, we have the same limbs, you know, we have the, the same makeup. And... All that sort of makes us different from that point is the conditioning and the environments that, that we're in. And we take on these thought 
thoughts and your feelings and it's the software that's it it's right. it's it's the the, the software that is downloading it into the hardware and, and the things that we tell ourselves all the time and you know I used to tell myself all of these things about my life and I was really hard on myself and let's let's go back to to, to where it all happened and I just want to go back to the birth because I feel that it, it, it was so significant in my life you were incredible I remember you know the energy the the, the majesty of what you did, how you went through it, what your body was capable of. I was in awe. I was inspired. And I don't usually, I, I don't like social media and I don't like to be public, but I just remember I wrote the most gushing letter on, on social media to post about how incredible you were and how incredible all women are, you know, that, that, that you go through this. And, you know, there's very little recognition from, from men about, what it's actually like and what you go through and, and how it all works and the energetics of it. So I, I was a different person. And then, you know, going to, to when Vida was born, we had a home birth and that was something else. I mean, I watched you almost float around the house for the hours you were in labour. You know, you were dancing to, you know, spiritual music. We had Hare Krishna music on. Uh, you know, you were meditating. It was just the most beautiful, serene, you know, image in, in my mind. We had one midwife in the kitchen and we actually had another midwife who you befriended who just wanted to come to see <laughs> what it was going to be like because you'd been talking about what this what birth you wanted. You know, you wanted this holistic, natural birth and she just wanted to come and be there to see. But we told them both to stay in the kitchen and if we needed them, we'd, we'd, we'd get them out. And then, you know, you birthed Vida in, in the pool and it was, you know, and I feel bad for saying this, but it was all too quick for me. That's how I feel. Because it was just... Most people think you're crazy. So beautiful. Saying that. It was nine and a half hours and I wanted it to be longer because I didn't want it to be over. Yeah. So, you know, here we were with our beautiful girl. And once again, you've done this most incredible thing. And I'm very, very fortunate to be able to say that, you know, as a, as a man... I was present at two births and they were beautiful. You know, they were probably the greatest moments bar our marriage. Um, they were, they were the greatest. You know, that, that, that I've witnessed and experienced and the energy and the connection that was there was, was fantastic. And, you know, in terms of the hypnobirthing, I remember we were going to call a doula for, for the Vida's birth and we actually, we actually didn't need one. No. We actually said, we've done this before. It was Danny, let's, who let's do Danny it. mentioned before, who you know, is now a friend. And she said, well, let me know when you're in labour and if I'm alright, and then I'll come. And we just didn't feel we, like we, we had it. We, Danny was so on it. He'd read the books and he'd understood. And, and also just to, you know, say here that, there is this misconception, and, and one thing I get very, very upset about is when people go, well, you're lucky you've got to do that. Because, yes, in, in, in a number of cases, there are complications, but in the vast majority of us who actually put, dedicate all our energy into our birth, we can create, like with anything with manifestation, it's an energetic thing. It's based on the energy we put in and, and how we vibrate. You know, our thoughts hold vibrations. And if we are coming from a place of fear, that's a low vibrational frequency. What are we going to call in if we do that? What's the sort of birth we're going to call in if our vibration is fear, which vibrates at a very low energetic frequency? 
I read Childbirth Without Fear by Ina May. I read The History of the, the um, Fear of Childbirth. I read everything. But the interesting thing with that is that I it, I remember speaking to friends when I was young, going, I don't want to have any drugs in birth. I really want to experience it. And they'd go, why? What's wrong with you? And it was just innate in me. So when it came to preparing for birth, um, preparing for pregnancy anyway, I was already, I had already read all those books. I was already there. And so that's just to say that I don't think it's a luck thing. I think in some cases, yes, but I do think that our energy um, contributes to it. And, you know, having to look without victim consciousness at uh, what really was my energy like? What was my partner's energy like? Because if your partner is stressed, they're going to emanate their stress onto you. That's how stress works. They pass their cortisol levels on. We feed off of other people's energetic vibration. So even if you're in a great place, but you've got a really stressy partner, that could be causing it as well. Or if you have doctors come in and they're stressed and they're putting fear on you, like let's look at every part of the birth to see, because we make it like an egocentric thing that, oh, it was just, it was me. It was I, you know, I just had a bad birth and this happened to me and this happens. But there are so many ways to prepare for birth that mean it doesn't need to be like that. And I do, you know, always want to come back to the fact I put a hell of a lot of effort into preparing my body for birth and Braxton was back to back he was a back to back labor anyone will tell you he's had a back to back labor it usually ends up in intervention because the, you don't get respite in between contractions and that's what you prepare for you prepare for the fact that the body does this amazing thing of giving you these contractions but in between you have this respite where you can breathe and relax and I didn't get that and it was 24 hours and I was battered and bruised I mean I was literally torn apart but there wasn't one part of me that thought, well, I can't do it, you know? I think I think that's the main thing. It's staying calm, mm. taking away any anxiety or stress. But keeping that belief, my and, body and, can do and, this. And absolutely, because, you know, women have done this since the, the beginning of time, and it, it's a process that, that you're designed to do. So mm. with all of those things, and it, it was incredible. So birth was, was definitely mm. a big turning point for me, um, and I'm very, very grateful of you and very fortunate in the experiences that we had together. And then I think it was 2000 and just moving on in 2018, I was at work, Braxton was about two, two and a bit. And I started to have blurred vision. Um, I started to have blackouts very rarely. I was slurring in my speech. I was very, very tired. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I was, I was really worried and I didn't want to scare you. So I kept it to myself. I booked a couple of um, appointments with the top neurologists in Harley Street and I went to get brain scans because I thought maybe I had some sort of tumour going on. I couldn't quite figure it out. Anyway, a couple of weeks went by and it was all clear and I came to you and, and told you what was going on. And you said to me, well, go and see Alina, who's you know, our, our naturopath, and I had not seen any holistic practitioner. In fact, I, the only person I'd seen was Dawn a few years, and it wasn't Dawn. Another um, homeopath. Another homeopath. But this is just to say that Daniel had started implementing a lot of the work and the healthy living stuff, but he never thought that seeing a practitioner was, he wasn't there yet. I, I wasn't there. I, I didn't think it was, was for me. But So I went along and I saw her there, and she spent two hours with me. And she asked me lots of questions and she was really thorough. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, 
here I am with this person in this clinic and it's not medical and she's asking me everything about myself and I'm thinking she's trying to link all these dots it was it was incredible you know that she was asking me one about my symptoms and what was happening but then she was asking me about my diet and my exercise and how I sit at work, how my posture is, and, and my back, and all these things. I'm thinking, wow, this is really thorough. So anyway, after the two hours, she turned around to me and she said, okay, I can give you a diagnosis. Oh, wow, this is brilliant. She said, you have chronic fatigue. And it just hit me, this overwhelming feeling of relief. And I, I remember I cried. Now, some people could say, well, it was potentially the placebo effect. But we, we sort of attach this negative connotation with the, the placebo effect. But really, what the placebo effect is, is the power of the mind mm -hmm. changing your chemical makeup into, you know... Changes your biochemistry. It, it does. Into understanding and, and getting well and getting better. Instantly, there was this relief. And I thought, okay, well, hold on. My son's two and a half. He's not been sleeping. Very well. I get up two, three times a night. I'm still going into the office and getting up at five o'clock every morning. And instantly, you know, I thought, right, I've got to change this. And I, I was really happy with my experience there. So I started to explore. And this is when I met my guy, Dr. Joe Dispenza. <laughs> yeah. um, and anyone that hasn't heard of Joe, and I know you speak about him, um, he is phenomenal. Um, he taught me things that, you know, I'll always take with me. He's probably the most prominent figure for me that, that turned things around. And I remember listening to something that he said. He said, we have 70,000 thoughts a day. And if we're thinking the same things over and over again, we believe the same thoughts and the same pattern, and our lifestyle is never going to change. And he said, if you get up every morning, you get out the right side of the bed, you brush your teeth, you think, I don't want to go to work, I don't like my job, I don't want to be this person or do these things, then that's who you're going to believe you are because you're telling yourself these things, you're doing the same things day in and day out. And he said, you know, you can, you can change who you are, you can change your reality. Epigenetics show now that we can create neural pathways over long periods of time. I think it takes something like, uh, what was it, 25 days to break a habit? Personal neuroplasticity than epigenetics, but yeah. Fine, thank you. <laughs> and, and, and 66 days to create a, a new habit. So, you know, I thought, okay, well, let's take this on board. Let's change how I live my life. So I started to listen to meditation music on my way to work, and I started to observe things. Wait, can more. we talk about this a second? Because I remember saying to you, when you were having a hard... Oh, oh, hold on. This was another time, though, wasn't it, when you went on to next difficult time? Yeah, well, we'll talk about that okay, soon. Right. So I started listening to meditation music, walking to, to work and back, and I started using an app, uh, Headspace, I think it was, to, to meditate on the train. And I remember I started to notice all the blossoms on the trees and the buds, and I started to look at it, and I was thinking, wow, I, I never pay attention to any of this stuff. I'm just constantly moving... On, on autopilot and, and that's what they say you know 95% of the decisions we we make are created by the, the reptilian part of the brain it's the part of the brain that absorbs learned behaviors over time and 
where the conditioning is. It's fear-based. It's fear-based, and we work on autopilot. So, for example, you know, we don't learn to drive every time we get into a car. We just know it. You know, sometimes we do a journey where we get to point B and we think, oh, I don't I really remember it. getting here. There's loads of things like that. And, you know, brushing our teeth, we don't think about it getting up. So all of these things, we just do an autopilot going to work. So I started to break those molds. Um, I actually brush my teeth with my left hand. Just, this was Jim Quick, wasn't it? This was, this, this is, this that, was this Jim Quick. And, and, and that goes forward. But again, I think it relates to this that here I am, my entire life brushing with my right hand. It's a habit. I don't even think about it anymore. I, I, I don't even know that I'm brushing my teeth in the morning. So I've changed it to my left hand. And in the beginning, it was difficult and it was awkward. And I wanted to always pass it to the right hand. But now I've been doing it for two years and I brush my teeth perfectly with my left hand. Some things take longer than, you know, than others. And I think this was one of those things. It's 37 years of brushing with the right hand. Um, but, you know, I've now changed that. I've persisted and I've created something new and I've been conscious of it. So I became more conscious of these things. I got into mindfulness. The meditation um, was, was great. I used to, you know, really sort of zone into it. And I think a lot of people have a common misconception about meditation. A lot of people are scared of meditation. It, you know, they believe that meditation should be something you do on a mountain top and you switch off and you connect. Well, you have to reach enlightenment to a, a source exactly, and you get to enlightenment. And it's just not that. It can be many different things for many people. Um, you are never going to clear your mind and your thoughts. It's just not possible, you know, unless you are a yogi. Um, or, or, or one of the highest monks. But meditation is about the thoughts coming in, acknowledging the thoughts, and letting the thoughts go out because you've noticed it. And, you know, for me, meditation was a relaxation. It was a time where I just switched off. And I remember around that time I had, had an issue with my iPhone. And I went to Apple and they took my iPhone and they said, right, well, we're going to do some, some work on it. And I had to sit at this genius bar in the Apple store in Covent Garden for 25 minutes without my phone. And I cannot tell you the panic, the anxiety, the boredom that went through my entire body. I didn't know what to do with myself. And that was the point where I realized I, I didn't know how to be with myself. You know, we I think we all are so connected and we're so stimulated by information. I, I think I saw a stat that we are bombarded with four times more uh, stimulation today than we were 30 years ago in our life. And something like in the 1800s, we're stimulated with more today in one day than people were in their entire life back then. So we're not connected. We're... And that's the purpose of meditation, to just bring us back. Because It's funny because we're doing this, and I taught Module 10 on the Academy last night, which is a meditation module, which the ladies always love because it gives them a relief. and a, 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 the, They go, oh, oh, I thought meditation was to help me reach enlightenment. Or to, oh, I'm allowed to have thoughts. Okay, so we talk about, you know, really the purpose of, yes, listen, if you can reach some sort of, state of consciousness, see something beyond this 3D reality, that is great. That is going to serve you. But the purpose of it really is to reduce our cortisol levels, bring us back down into alpha brainwave state where we're just 
balance because our cortisol levels are so high we have all these micro stresses throughout the day and really that's the purpose of meditation but, just to bring us down to that point if you get anything else bonus but just doing it for the mindfulness just for the being and the boredom and that i'm gonna let you finish but i want to go into boredom after that and i was just gonna say that's it it's it's switching off when do we in our days stop mm-hmm. even if we we read a book our mind is still engaged in something we're right. physically doing meditation is just sitting there and i think that's probably the one thing i would say if somebody said to me how do i start where do i start with spirituality and being conscious i would say stillness Stillness. sit with yourself if it's 10 minutes a day just sit in a room with nothing or in nature even better in nature you don't have to meditate to start with but you realize how you don't ever just sit Mm. and it's very difficult and you know you'll probably learn lots of things about your home and the room that you're sitting in that you never noticed so i did all this and i got better and i was really really pleased i think it was over nine months but I did what a lot of people would do. I let life get in the way. I wasn't conscious of what I had done. And I thought, I'm better now. Great. The standard narrative. The standard. So I carried on with life. Didn't do any more meditation. Wasn't really conscious. Tried every now and again to do something, but, but it didn't work. And then COVID happened. And What's that? <laughs> what is that? The dreaded, it's the new dreaded C word. And COVID has done many things for, for many people. And I think for me, COVID was very, very challenging in terms of business. There was a lot of worry. There was a, a lot of concern. And in early 2020 so I suppose back in in April it it all got on top of me and it's I I had what I would consider a breakdown and you saw it you noticed it and there were lots of things going in with work and my emotions just hit the floor and I do have a history of in my family I have a history of, of depression it's not something that I've ever sort of suffered with but it's always been there and it's always been a worry that I could be susceptible to it this is probably one of the main times in life where I thought okay this kind of feels like this is something and I just I hit the floor and I couldn't stop crying and you know I'm getting a bit emotional thinking about it now and I remember you looked at me and you just thought, right, I need to step in here. And you were incredible. You took the kids away from me. You said, right, you need to go out. You need to walk in nature. Um, and you need to take this time for, for yourself. And I did. And I went on this walk and I found the Mind Your Business. Hold on. Because I had been saying to you for years, listen to podcasts. Yeah, I had, I had no interest. And you said, what am I going to listen to podcasts for and all of these things? Because for me, I reckon that I have had a better education from podcasts than I would have done from university. Genuinely, the things I have learned from yeah. listening to Zach Bush and James Wedmore and Jim Horton and... Well, I, I can say that now like, that I agree with you all in, all in hindsight. Then. I know, but, it, but then it was profound, right? Because then you were like, okay, what, I, I've got nothing else to lose. I, I was... I'm going to listen to a podcast. I, I had hit my rock bottom. 
this was my rock bottom. This was five times worse than when I thought I had the tumour. But do you remember what I said to you when I said you've hit, you've hit rock bottom? The only way is up. I, didn't, I never say cliche things like that. Go on, remind me. I said to you, this is rock bottom. That's the best place you can be because you needed to hit this in order to make changes. Yeah. And you recognised that. And I think there was almost a relief in you when you recognised that. We were, we were on a walk. We weren't walking and we were talking about that and you were crying. But there was an element of relief. And I said, because I teach this to my clients, you know, rock bottoms is the energetic death and rebirth. You, we are constantly dying and rebirthing. And then we rebirth ourselves into something new, which is what you did from that. Had you not have had things not have got as bad as they did, I'd have carried on. Going. A bit like with me, had my arthritis have not got as bad as it did, I'd probably still have like mediocre yeah. arthritis yeah. and a mediocre life. No, you're right. Rock, rock bottom is the best place you can get to because you can make those changes that you need. You can become aware. And for me at that time, it was like right, it can't it can't get any worse. I have to have to make a change. So. You know, you, you told me to go and find a podcast and I found the Mind Your Business podcast with James Wedmore, which uh, is a bit misleading because it's uh, the only podcast which is more about spirituality uh, and practice within business than, than business itself. And I scrolled down my iPhone to find an episode and I found an episode with Jim Quick. And... I remember I was in the park, which opens up into a massive expansive field and woodland. And I was listening to Jim Quick and this episode changed my life. I, I mean, if ever there was a time where you thought this is the right episode at the right time. Mm. And I remember that I, I used to say to friends that, you know, you can want to change things. You can want to do different things in your life um but it comes to you when it comes to you you can immerse yourself in self-development in all the help that you want in all the podcasts but sometimes it just needs that right time and that right episode or that right book to speak to you mm. and this was it i mean i felt this was this was the thing i'd been looking for all my life you know i felt out of place um i felt the schooling system had failed me I felt that I had many 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 limiting beliefs I was a fraud I was an imposter you didn't know you didn't consciously know any of that I think before that I I did but I hid it and I felt for, for a long part of our marriage that I'd I'd hidden who I was to you because I had so many limiting beliefs so many fears that, that had been conditioned you know, education wasn't my strongest point. And now I'm, I'm you know, I think I w was misdiagnosed and, and, and um, dyslexic, you know, and, and it was something that embarrassed me. Now I'm very happy to say that. Mm. Doesn't embarrass me one little bit. Learning was difficult. I, I didn't have a passion or enjoyment for it. And here was this podcast of this guy talking about how we are not taught the best way to be taught or to learn. You know, we are learned in a very old system um, that doesn't take individuals into account. It works off of a, a template and we can change our reality and we can change our thoughts and our mind um, and the way in which we're made up as, as individuals. And it was just, 
it was overwhelming for me. And, you know, he talked about how, and again, very similar to, to Dr. Joe Dispenza, he talked about how if we tell ourselves things enough times, we take on who who we believe we are. It becomes an identity. It becomes an identity. And, you know, we say things to ourselves that we wouldn't say to our worst enemy. You know, I look fat in that. I'm not going to eat this. I'm silly. That sounds stupid. They don't like me. I smell. All of these you things. You say smell? Well, it was just one thing <laughs> into my head. But, you know, <laughs> I think Braxton, our son, our son, says that quite a lot. Maybe, maybe that's why that's there. But if you say things enough over and over again, you believe it. And I took these principles and I thought, Do you know what? I can change who I am. I can tell myself something different. I can be kind to myself. And again, that is lesson number one. And I suppose when I say, you know, first thing you do is, is sit in the silence. The first thing you want to achieve is self-love. You have to love yourself because... You know, and that's a journey. Like, I don't think anyone ever fully achieves it because this, this is the thing as well. I don't want to give these, un, you know, unachievable expectations to people. I don't think either of us and most people in the world ever fully reach a state of complete, utter, unequivocal self-love. But it's a journey, right? It's, again, it, it's, it's continuing it's the practices journey, of self-love. It's a journey that never ends. I think the first thing is you've got to recognise how harsh you're being on yourself mm. and how you don't have that love. And I think from there you can recognise and, and, and grow. And I, I was telling myself the most horrible things and I was you embarrassed were. and everything everything in my life was uncomfortable. Like you believed that your business was based on like luck. You'd just got there and it wasn't you. There was you weren't anything to do with where it was and Yeah, it's a thing. It's called it's called imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, you you don't have the confidence and, and the belief in how you achieved something and you question it all the time. It, it's so common, but yet we, we keep it very, very quiet. And, you know, I think the first thing I did was I spoke to you about everything. And wow, what a relief it was to get everything off my chest that I had felt my whole life. You know, not just for a little, my whole life, the way I thought I was, my behaviours, the way I acted. You know, even in the sense that you used to question why I would be so loud and vocal in front of people and I would be the centre of attention, make everyone laugh. And, you know, I didn't realise until, you know, I got to this point, but it was, it was a defence mechanism. It was me creating this persona that I thought hid who I really was. And Because you didn't... A way in, in which I, I, I managed the world that I would find myself in. Yeah, because you didn't have a belief. You didn't believe in your own value of just you being valuable for just being for just existing so you thought what can i do to make people laugh what silly things can i do that I people thought, will accept I thought me i had to create this character exactly and so, i remember saying to you why did you do that this evening that's not you and you'd go why are you changing me that's who i am yeah yeah it's, it's <laughs> you know it's so simple when i when i look back on it now but you know these were revelatory things to me and you know, I, I started to put in practice, and I'm going to talk about the salmon because I always talk oh, about the it. salmon. Yeah. I can't bear the, the salmon story. So I got home after listening to this podcast that did something to me, or this episode. And then, then you bought his book, and you bought 20 of them to and give then to I, friends as well. Well, I read it first, and then I bought his book. 
And Limitless, by the way. It said in the book, yes, Limitless, big shout to Jim Quick. It said in the book, we tell ourselves things over and over again, as I've said, that make mean we believe it. And he started speaking about food. And he said, if we tell ourselves that we don't like a particular food, we will go into it and we will not try it. We will not like it. He said, if you try this particular food and say, I'm going to try it, but I know I don't like it. I've tried it before. Your mind is still thinking that you're not going to like it because subconsciously you're telling yourself that you know you're not going to like it and you don't like it. It's that program from the reptilian side of your brain that's in there that says, it doesn't matter that the left side, the 5% is saying you're going to try it. The right side is still saying, you know, you don't like it. Don't bother. So it's never going to change. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do something unique here. I don't like salmon. I think when I think of anything I don't like most in my life, it's salmon, cooked salmon. And I remember that this stems back from one day my mum was cooking a big salmon and she was gutting it in the kitchen. She put her hand in it and she made it talk to me. I was probably about six years old. She said, you're going to eat me. And I I mean, that's not something you want to do with a big, you know, four foot salmon um, to, to a six year old kid that's just come home from school. So I didn't want to eat it. So the salmon gets to the table and I unscrew the salt shaker and I go to put salt on and the shaker lid comes off and the salt goes everywhere. Now, my mum, who, who, you know, was very loving, but very firm, doesn't take no crap. She saw what I'd done and she made me eat a bite and I took a bite and I was violently sick. And from that point on, I had a problem with salmon. Salmon and I are not friends. <laughs> I tried it a couple of times. It, it, it got so serious that my whole family knew that whenever we were out, I would just say I'm allergic to fish. You know, it became this joke that don't come near me without I'm allergic. So I took the salmon and I put it in my mouth. And the first reaction was, Oh, okay, here's the taste I don't like, the fishy taste. And then I let it settle and I was changing my mind and I thought, okay, that's not fishy. That is just the taste of salmon. It's a distinct taste to what I'm eating. It's no different to chicken being a, a distinct taste. And I processed it and I thought, okay, if that's just the taste, then I'm going to process it. That's not a taste I don't like. So I ate it. Long story short is salmon is now one of my most favourite foods. And I had it last night. I probably have it, still can't believe it. I probably have it about three times a week. But to me, this was huge. And it was just a bit of salmon. But if I could do that with salmon, I could do it with everything. And that's when the cold showers started. You know, I, I have cold showers every day. I've been having them for two years now. I thought, oh, I can never have cold showers. I love cold showers. Because Wim Hof, that was another um, thing for you, wasn't it? The Wim Hof breathing. And the Wim Hof the breathing, yeah. Uh, well, the, the showers started with Jim Quick um, because it was a, a, a mind sort of over matter thing. But, but Wim Hof certainly and introduced me to, to the breathing. So, you know, there were significant things I was changing in my life. The next thing is journaling. He spoke about journaling. And, you know, I, I loved his book so much that I wanted to pay it forward. And I went and 
I bought 20 copies. It was actually a mistake. It was only supposed to be like 10, but Waterstones got the order wrong and the customer service during lockdown when you couldn't speak to anyone was appalling. So I took the 20 and I gave them out. I gave them to my staff um, at work and I, I gave them to friends. And, you know, I remember some people enjoyed it and some people didn't. And I think at that point I realised that just because you have a moment and you find something awakening or profound mm. doesn't mean other people are. Yeah. But... I still thought it was fantastic and I, and I paid it forward. And, um, you know, it, these were the things that, that transformed me, that, that created this change in me. And the journaling, wow, the journaling is amazing. And, you know, I, I, I want to go back just before I touch on the journaling because one of the reasons why I wanted to talk is there's a lot of hesitancy in men to, to come to this. And journaling is certainly something because, you know, we're taught that girls write in diaries, you know, girls write their feelings down in diaries and that's not for men, you know. So the thought of journaling is just alien to us. And I think, you know, people, not people, I think it's very hard being a man. I don't think that... that women necessarily appreciate how hard it is being a man. I know there's lots of talk about, you know, women, the history of women, you know, how women are treated and completely on board with, with, with all of that. But it's hard being a man. We are raised from birth with a set of beliefs and principles that condition us for the rest of our lives. You know, we must be strong. We mustn't show emotion. We must be a provider. You know, we're told not to cry. You know, don't cry. Don't cry like a girl. Yeah. You know, conditions you into the shadow masculine. It, it it's not how a boy should be. We are told, you know, what sports we need to get involved with. You know, that's what men do. Um, you know, what toys to play with, what not to play with. Mm. You know, even when you sort of start growing up and you get in circles of friends, you know, in in school to talk about your emotions or to be in touch with your feminine side. You know, you're labelled either weak or what they would call sissy, or however you want to define that. But, you know, that is the problem. We are shamed and embarrassed from tapping into those emotions, so from tapping into our feminine energy. So from very, very early on, we just switch it off. So intuition, compassion, accepting, reflectiveness, forgiveness, creativity, our gentle side, you know, all those feminine energies that balanced with the masculine make us whole they're completely switched off mm. so we find it really really difficult to talk to open up and you know i see it in my circle of friends nobody wants to talk about feelings no one wants to no one wants to cry or you know talk about how beautiful something was so you know journaling is is a most amazing space for you to open this world up and what comes from journaling is you just write and some days you know there is a pressure on what do I write some days I just write I'm having a bit of a block today I, I I don't know what to write I don't really know what the purpose of it is and then from that something will come and you know the stuff I've learned has been incredible you know I've come home you know from work annoyed about something or, or annoyed about someone or, or something that happened with a client or you know we've had an argument that I've been adamantly you know I'm right and you're wrong and I've written about it and 
after I've held on a sec, I was wrong. Get clarity. I shouldn't have dealt with it that way. I could have dealt with it another way. And these are things that never would have happened to me. I would have been set on my belief and that was the way it was. And it's just opened up a whole world to me. And now I question and I write everything I go through because I don't want to react to something or attach it with a set of beliefs and ideals that, you know, make me believe in a certain way of dealing with it or right or wrong. So the journaling is, is fantastic and it's just transformed me. So we've talked quite a lot about how I've come to it. I think we've taken up most of the podcast in there. Yeah, but we've but... gone into everything, but I just, just it's a good point then to say, were you always conscious or did I change you? It's neither of those things. You can't change a person. It's small incremental steps that you that were facilitated for you a little bit because you had some you had someone you were watching someone who was already doing those things and when you came to me and said this has happened I I had ways of facilitating ways for you to heal mm. but it came from you um it do, I, it does I, 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 I do, do you think that I don't know I, I perhaps because you were watching me and watched all the things that I've been doing but I think that it can if you're meant to come to it you come to it I think maybe just you know because this is my lifestyle and, and my whole life revolves around health and growth you see it a lot so I think for example just as an example you know so you've got to see Aaliyah and then there are all those things but then when you started the journaling I've been saying to you for a long time about inner child work and you were resistant to it and then, by the way, we're always resistant to the things that most need to be worked through. Um, and that's where the most growth comes from. When we push through the resistance of the things that are most difficult to us or the things that we're resisting the most. But, you know, had you not have started the journaling, I don't think you would have been open to the inner child. Work. So one thing led to the other, which was really initiated by rock bottoms. And so... Were you always conscious? Did I make neither? It was. It I do. Was a that, process. I, I think living with you, it would be wrong to say that I wasn't aware of everything that, that was going on. I think I was very fortunate to see everything that, that you were doing. But at the same time, what you were doing baffled me. Um, and at times it infuriated me because, mm -hmm. you know, I was obviously. You know, as a household, we were paying for... Uh, well, that's it, another thing, it, money. That's another increased thing. costs of, of all this, and we'll, maybe we'll get into that. Um, you know, it was affecting our relationship, or wasn't affecting, but it was part of our lifestyle. So, you know, I'd, I'd get annoyed and I'd get triggered by things, and you were trying to push things on me. I mean, I remember when you said, stop using toothpaste, it's got fluoride in, and... We have the you were biggest so argument about toothpaste. About toothpaste. <laughs> I was like, would you leave me alone and let me have my mint toothpaste? You know, and, and all these things are in place. Now tell what you brush your teeth with. I brush my teeth with either on guard Deterra toothpaste without fluoride and natural minerals, or I use baking soda and <laughs> essential oils. I uh, definitely prefer the myrrh oil than the peppermint oil. It has a special zest to it. This is from the man who had a three-day argument with me. About, about, about fluoride toothpaste. So uh, I think at times, you know, it, it turned me away from it, but I had to come to it on my own. And 
Look, people that know us, I, I don't think, because you've been in this world so long, people say to me, what are you doing? Have you been brainwashed or, you know, has she got to you? But no, I've come to this completely on my own. In fact, I have a completely different set of principles and ideals to, to you. We, we live the same sort of ideals and, and lifestyle, but we have different reasons for it. We don't have to agree on things. In fact, some things that we don't agree on, but we find middle ground and we find where each of us are, are comfortable with it. And for me, all of this was, it, it sort of felt a bit like common sense to me. Mm. You know, we, we have these bodies and everything we do to our bodies is man-made you know, or, or, or developed by man over time. So what were our bodies designed for in the first place? They're the most incredible organisms that look after themselves, but yet here we are. And, you know, if you look at over time, I mean, when I think about my, my grandparents and, and, and the war generation, you know, all the products they used were, okay, they weren't natural by any means, but, you know, they were locally sourced, they were locally made. Nowadays, we import things. It was things. a lot more natural. Because it, okay, it was a lot more natural. natural. Yeah. Now we import things from countries that stay fresh for, you know, a month because we, we inject them with so many things. You know, all of our meat has, has got hormones and antibiotics in them. Everything we put on from the hair gel I put on my hair till the deodorant to the toothpaste, every day I'm putting things on my body that have chemicals in. And I, and I just came to that realisation that, do you know what? I don't need to do that. Why would I expect you know, to be healthy in 20 years if I carry on doing that? It's common sense. Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm not saying that you're going to put a, a, a deodorant on you and you're going to die from it. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying that if over your lifetime you use all of these products and you have all of these toxins, then, you know, your immune system is, is not going to be as, as strong. And, you know, you might get cancer down the line as a result. Can we prove that? Very, very difficult to prove that. Well, but Zach Bush is proving that now. Good for Zach Bush. You know, I heard him say that we seven billion pounds of antibiotics is what is used in the commercial meat that is going around the world, mm -hmm. and because of how it transport, how you know, with the ecosystems and everything, that's going into our soil and our water, mm -hmm. and that's part of what and this is why it's so multifaceted like you said is a deodorant going to kill you it, it's all the things it's everything together and that's why we have to do all the little things we can but when you said about brainwashing you did give them an answer once that i thought was wonderful you're gonna have to remind me because oh, i've given go. them many answers <laughs> you said what if she's unbrainwashed me ah yeah i did but look that's you know that, there's a lot to that there's a, there's a lot to all of this we we go around unconsciously and, you know, I, I live a very, very happy, fulfilled lifestyle. And there's, there's lots of, there's lots more on this journey to, to go. But, you know, I think for me, and people would maybe that know me be shocked at this, it's my dream to actually disengage from the rat race, to mm. live in isolation, off grid, sustainably, you know, living off the land, paying homage and, and connecting, 
you know, that's not yours, that's that's mine. Well, to an extent it is. I just I don't want to live somewhere where I have to be cold all the time. As long as there's this this sun. But yeah, that that is who I am now. I, I want to be I want to operate from a place of consciousness, from a place of, of love, um, compassion, and be be connected. And you know, I, I'm I'm not saying that Everything I've done to change my life means that I have a completely different life. Now, I don't have a completely different life. You know, I live in the same place and I, I go to the same work and I know a lot of the same people. But I find happiness in all of that because I've changed my beliefs mm. about everything. And that's that's the key. And you've manifested more friendships, that are, you know, conscious friendships with other conscious men and you've Absolutely. done something amazing which has created your own conscious men's group to allow men to open up more well i'm, I'm in the early stage of that but it's, it's it's very exciting i've you know one of the things the reason why i wanted to do it is um i'm inspired by the friendship groups that you've created you've got a, a tribe now um and, and you didn't always have that as you've been getting into this world more and more you've manifested these people but i remember there were 25 women around our house and there's more of them that's just all that could come at the time and you all had this cacao ceremony and you all spoke about how special the connection was and you know you have this group you're on whatsapp you're there to support each other socially um, professionally with your businesses spiritually mentally and I just thought wow this is incredible you know men don't have that at all you know when I talk, when I think about going out with with old friends, we talk about you know, cars, sports, girls, you know, superficial girls, things. What are you fourteen? Well, I was <laughs> thinking back to when we did, but you know, nothing that that really sort of pulls at the emotions or or, or lays you bare on the line. And I was working with with a coach, uh, David Chambers, at the beginning of well, not beginning of this year, it was like four months ago. And he said to me, he'd just come back from a men's retreat. And he said, there was something so beautiful about a group of men who leave their guard or leave their barrier at the door. You know, they are connected to themselves and they open up. And he said, vulnerability. Vulnerability. Some of them started crying. And when there's, you know, when there's the space for it, and, you know, when there's no women present, I'm not saying it can't be in the presence of women, but this was a men's retreat. There is just something special about having that platform and it's shedding those years of conditioning. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get some people together. I, I know lots of great guys, but we don't have a group or a place. We're all at different levels. And I thought, you know, let's get together and let's talk about these things. And we've done the first one and we gathered uh, around a fire in in one of our gardens, and you know we just we just chatted, and we're going to do it more and more, and I think hopefully we're going to get into it. But it's something beautiful. It is, and let's go there with the kind of that feminine energy that that men need to it. So you spoke about before about the shadow masculine. You know, you know boys are raised with these societal with this you know societal conditioning, this kind of reductionist thinking about how. A man needs to behave, and that leads us into the shadow masculine. So the shadow masculine is be strong, don't show your emotions, don't cry, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, logic, pragmatism, data. And 
there's no room for the feminine, which is the intuition, the nurture, all those things you mentioned before, the compassion, the vulnerability. And a man operating from his divine masculine would have a balance of those. And that's not to say, for those wondering, new to this, a man operating from his divine masculine isn't, you know, a, a needy man who's crying all the time. That would be the unhealthy masculine. So we've got the shadow masculine on one side and we've got the unhealthy masculine on the other side. A man in his divine masculine is able to be the protector, be the provider, use logic and data, but also tune in with his intuition. It's also, all about also, balance. It's about balance, like everything. And what I have, because what I've noticed is, I would say around 95%, maybe even more, of people that contact me regarding natural health options or vaccines or whatever it might be, it's women. And they always say, you know, it's either people that have been, you know, into it for a while or it's, I don't know anything about this. I just know it doesn't feel right and I need to explore it because it doesn't feel right. But my husband or my, my partner or my boyfriend doesn't agree and thinks I'm nuts. And it's always the same thing. And we look at why. Well, because women, and, and you know, not just mothers, but when you become a mother, you have this access to this maternal instinct. Women have the ability to connect to their emotions. That's why historically women were the sages and the wise women, you know, the witches. The, and what a sage you are. What a sage I am. We'll talk about that in a minute, the sage. Um, and that's why men need to and so the men that i see that come to this and that start questioning the status quo stop looking at statistics and data which by the way holds no energetic value so it's always flawed when you let go of that that need to be proven right by a statistic where a statistic can always be flawed because there are so many variables to statistics they let go of that and they come back to intuition does like you said before it's just common sense does it feel right to do this to my child? Does it feel right to put this in my body? Does it feel right to have a conversation about this? That's the feminine. And that's when the men start balancing themselves out. And I, <clears throat> I think every man needs an opportunity to do that. And um, <clears throat> so let's go on from that. We don't have too long left, but let's talk about our relationship. Yes, please. Um, our union um, and what we like to call sacred union now because you know let's be honest it was make or break at one point and you know we spoke about boredom and all those things because you wouldn't for a second be bored oh I'm bored and that's such a big point here because what were you doing with the tv and the weed and the alcohol and the cigarettes what were you doing so yeah, I, I, I had a routine. I, I, was, I was numbing myself. I was clearly unhappy and I wasn't aware of it. And I was numbing myself to, to the day and, and my life. And I was switching off to you and I was coming home. And every day, my, you know, in my, my younger days, it was with smoking weed and, and marijuana in the evening to, to switch off. And then as I, as I grew up, it was, you know, I'd replace that with whiskey. I was drinking, you know, three, four glasses of whiskey a night. I'm not even conscious I was doing it. Watching. You do have an all or nothing personality as well. I do with some things, yeah, the bad things. Um, 
And uh, I'd watch three hours of TV a night and, you know, it, it, it created a problem because what was happening was I was switching off, you were going to bed and I was staying up for, you know, till 12 at night watching TV and drinking or, or doing what I needed to do. And you kept saying to me, you know, I, I want you to come and, and read with me. And I was furious with you. I wasn't a reader, you know. I wasn't a reader. That was from a limiting belief as well because of the yeah. dyslexia so it took you long to read. I didn't, so I didn't like school, like I didn't like reading books, never read books, didn't didn't read. So, you know, I wasn't a reader. And it really caused a problem. And I I knew this is gonna sound terrible, but it's coming into my mind, so I'm gonna say it at the at the risk of upsetting. But um I remember you used to talk about things and I used to think, My God, when's she gonna stop? And I'd just be like, there's so much talking about so many boring topics and, you know, visits to woo-woo land, which just don't interest me. And, I mean, I was completely disconnected from you. And I remember you, you know, my mum introduced you to the Harry Krishna circuit and, you know, she spent some time in India. And then you used to, to go to the temple and you're talking about these incredible people. And that's where you met Jay Shetty. And, you know, you used to go and on a, on a was it weekly? It wasn't weekly. It was no, we had monthly, monthly gatherings. Um, gatherings. And you wanted me to come and I didn't like it to you. You know, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm not going to Harry Krishna gathering. And that was such a conditioning as well. Because you're not even into I'm not, religion I'm not in religion. I, I don't really believe in religion at all. And I'm not religious. But, you know, I think I used it to serve the argument. And you said that we got to a point where you questioned. And I, you were doing so much growth. And you were educating yourself. And you were surrounding yourself with expansive people and you're on this journey and I was not interested um, and I just didn't come to it and I was set in my way and, and I suppose I was thinking as well you know how fast is going to go you know can we can we stay together um, and I'm just very very happy that that life is very very different now you know my my whole life is about being connected being conscious it's shedding all of my beliefs, rewriting them. You know, what's life about? What do I want in life? You know, where is their beauty? Connecting to you. You know, now I spend most of my day looking forward to coming home to you and the time that we, we spend together. You know, I laugh because sometimes I'm out with friends and I'm like, right, got to go, got to spend some time with my wife. Um, they think you're nuts. And they, they think I'm nuts. But, you know, we, we read. I love reading. We oh, enjoy each other's company. I love now. reading. I, you so know, all of all of those times I told myself that there's never any time, you know. I was spending three or four hours a night watching TV. I read, I have bath. Oh, how I love <laughs> a bath with candles and lavender or rose petals in there. You know, and I'm not afraid to say it. It's another thing. Men aren't men think they're not allowed baths. We're allowed baths, guys. <laughs> enjoy it. It's it's a thing of beauty. Um, you know, the, the breathing, the meditation, the switching off. You know, with my kids now, I, I just don't get frustrated. You know, one of the best things I have in my toolbox is, you know, I, I have um, I have my affirmations, I say, every day to, to remind me. And, you know, a big thing is my emotions are just chemical reactions. Mm. You know, the thing we don't like about our reactions is the, 
the chemical imbalance that's created that in our body that, that you know makes us feel angry if something happens you know and you say oh i don't like that or well, that's making me feel really bad it's like well what is it when you stop and you notice well it's the back of my neck feels hot or my head feels very heavy or my heart, my chest feels tight you know these are how the emotions and the chemical uh, reactions within the emotions change and, and create a physical state and I just say to myself, every time I get angry, every time something triggers me, it's like, do I need to be annoyed by it? Mm-hmm. You know, my kids, I have, you know, I have a great relationship with them. Um, it's it's always a work in progress, as yeah. you know. Being a parent is very very hard. That's not to say we don't get frustrated. We, we do. We, we do get frustrated a lot, but you know, now when I'm about to lose, I think, why does it matter? You know, when they take a long time going to bed, and I get annoyed, like I've got things to do. Are those things really important? Or shall I just spend some more time with my kids that you don't want to be These are the big things that have changed me. And I love life. I am very, very happy. I was about to say I couldn't be happier. Um, I, you know, I feel like that. But the journey is ongoing. And to be honest, I'm, I'm at the very beginning. And my life's just beginning because I've got 37 years of changing how I think and how I feel. And... You know who I look to, and all the good things in life, and everything's possible. You just got to believe and stop listening to the voices in your head mm. telling you over and over again, you know, that you're not worthy and you can't do things, and that's not you. It's just not true. You have to remember that it's all conditioning. You have to break it down. So it it just seems, and obviously we speak a lot. We do speak a lot, but just sitting here and like structuring it in the way we've done. It's like, it's because when people will be listening to this, and I know what's going to happen is that I will get a load of messages from women saying, Well, how can I get my husband to do this? And it from your journey, I think what we can see is that it was small incremental steps that you kept with. So the journaling, like we know, we have seen with you that more than the meditation, more than anything else, it's the journaling that brings you back. Like that is how you channel your emotions when you realize what your emotions are, because you are still in the state of kind of recognizing your emotions and tuning into them, they're on the page, you're you're looking at it and going, oh, that's my emotion, okay, that's enabling you to move deeper into the work. So it's repetition, 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 changing the habits, the brushing the teeth on the other side, the, you know, changing the food habits, it's one thing at a time and it's keeping the repetition of it and I think that is the key. and within our relationship, I think it's been, you know, going back to what we said before, it was make or break because I was sitting there going, wow, we have nothing in common. He, he's not interested in anything I'm doing or anything that interests me. Where where do we go from here? Mm. And that was a scary time. And I was really willing to look at that and consider our future based on that. And I'm grateful for the rock bottoms. I'm so grateful for the rock bottom, for both of us, because our rock bottoms were what pushed us to this point. Um, And I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your, your, your just persistence and your willingness to move into things that felt scary and different and very woo woo. Um, (laughs) And, um, and it's been work, right? Like we are in this place where, I would say our relationship 
after but the work 11. Is, but the work is good. Right, I know, know, but can I just say something? Because we've been together 11 years. We have never worked harder on our marriage, but we have never been more in love, more connected, more aligned. Like, we literally want to spend all our time together. And and he's, he wasn't just saying that. But like, what is it I used to say to you? Or no, you used to say to me, you don't love me like... When we when we yeah. first got together, I thought oh, there's a story that I I walked two towns in the snow and the trains were ready to get yeah. to you, and you always use that. And I used to turn around to you and say, look, you know, we can't get that yeah, time back. Changes. That love, I love changes. And what I've realised is, no, love is who we are and what we make it. And yeah. I'm more in love with you now than ever before. I'm so grateful for you, and I send you messages every morning. Uh, which I'm not ashamed to say that I say, you know, I'm grateful to start my day loving you because I am and you create a safe space for me. You love me. You nurture me. You offer the same to our children. You challenge me, which is so important. Um, I'm inspired by you. I've never known anyone to work so hard and for so many causes and you know, I see the thousands of people that write you messages and the people that you've helped in the past, you know, through, you know, rock bottom to, to well-being and, and the changes that you make. But, you know, you're kind and all of the amazing qualities. And, you know, I'm very, very grateful. And I just, you know, if I hadn't have met you, I one definitely wouldn't be doing full moon rituals <laughs> cleansing our crystals underneath the full moon but i would be living a life that was blissfully unaware and i would have been on you know that trajectory well you would have been just doing what we used to any, do is any different you coming from work feed the kids put the kids to bed i'd go upstairs and read my book you'd sit downstairs have a whiskey and watch tv and that would be your version of happiness but what we've realized is <clears throat> let's expand our metrics for happiness to us, when we look at what's making us happy, our happiness is beyond what we thought it was. And we look at we look around us and go, we thought we were happy, but we didn't know what happiness was because our metrics have changed for it. So it's a more of a, a deep internal thing from where we're getting our happiness. And I think that's been the shift. Um, and you know, that's what's moved us into, you know, what we like to call the sacred union. And we have this respect, this this honour, this reverence for each other. And I think that has been the key as well, this honouring each other. Um, and we trigger each other. But, you know, the work has been, like you say, the work is good. It is this, you know, we could be those people and life would be, you know, quote unquote, easier if we came home and did all those boring things and I went upstairs and you stayed downstairs and blah, blah, blah. Life would be easier. Mm. Than the work we do, and we work right. We do work on it. Like we, we go work. through. You know, we every, have gone every, through things. Every argument has its place. It, yeah, it has its reasons. And but not just that. Like the things we've gone through in the last year or so yeah. that we've put ourselves through on purpose and brought ourselves through and explored in order to expand and gone through really difficult times because of it and work. But the way we work through it, and for that, I'm really grateful. And you touched on full moon rituals. My, my end question to you was going to be if people, if you were to look back on oh, yourself my, now, if you're fit, like you from 15 years ago is looking at you now, what would he find the most hilarious? I would say, take those fisherman trousers off. <laughs> Why are you playing a Native American flute? <laughs> uh, chanting to Harry Krishna music, banging the drum, 
Um, around the fire. Around the around ritual. the fire fire with your cacao <laughs> for your full moon ritual. Um, putting natural deodorant and toothpaste and brush, filtering your water uh, on your counter tabletop. Uh, the the list goes on. I mean, I've got crystals on on our shared altar. Um, you know, I sage, smudge the room, burn Palisanto. You know, and it's not even you. I, I've got a friend that we go to a, a retreat every year with our kids. We go to, you know, like an eco village where, you know, it's all about holistic spiritual living where we carry on with the fire rituals there and, and playing our flutes when we take them away. So I, there's there's loads more probably. But, yeah, I, I don't recognize myself from 15 years ago. I did want to say what is the hardest part about living like this. And then... I, one of the things that we were going to touch on, maybe just very quickly, um, you touched on, you know, the amount of money living this lifestyle. And the thing is, is what I want to preface here is it doesn't take a lot of money to be conscious or to change your habits or to change your lifestyle. But we implement things that obviously are important to us. Based yeah. on, for example, we have the Summer Vedic, which... Reduces EMFs in the house. Just so, a, just another little five hundred. Just another five hundred. But things like that are important for me, and we will compromise on other things. Like we haven't been for other people have gone for holidays during COVID. Like we 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 do compromise on other things. But when you're faced with an expense like that, you kind of tense up. But your relationship with money has changed as well because you. We'll touch on that very quickly. You, look, you've, you, you've got to understand it. Before I, I was accepting and understanding, I just saw it as, you know, we were spending money on everything being organic, um, which doubles the cost of the shopping. You know, we were getting supplements, you know, hundreds of pounds a month, superfoods. We were getting, you know, breathable organic cotton for our kids' beds, which made the cost four times. Some are Vedic, water filtered. All these things, and you know, it, it it is hard and it is frustrating. But then, you know, you put it into perspective. Once you understand, we'll spend you know four thousand pounds going on a family holiday, right? You or two hundred pounds on a meal out in town, or, or, or going and, and going to restaurants. And it's just balancing it. You know, we we look after certain things in our life. We look after you know. The, the way we look, our clothes, our cars, our homes, but we overlook our, our bodies. You know, and we think, okay, well, if we do go to the gym, that's good enough, but we don't look at what we're eating and all these other things. So it's just about understanding why you do it and why it's, in, why it's important. You know, a lot of people get really, really sick and then they think, oh, what can I do? What, how and then they'll spend all spend? the money and they'll spend, you know, they'll go to private doctors in the best you know so-called best clinics and they'll spend anything once they're sick but what if we are spending and and, and I understand that there are people living in poverty who can't do this so I, this is not what I'm talking about but for those who you know we both run our businesses and we earn our money and I am, want to be conscious about where I spend that money I think consumer pressure is the most important way in today's world that we can change what's going on mm. that we can change and regenerate our soil so that our children have better food to eat. So there's less antibiotics going around the world in the food and all of that, less pesticides, less glyphosate, less 
everything consumer pressure does that so if i'm spending my money on a 500 pound summer vedic machine which is going to reduce the emfs in my mm. house i'd rather be sent and if i'm spending the money on an organic farm that's regenerated their soil that's where my, me as a consumer where i have power and so <clears throat> you know obviously i do understand that if you're living in poverty that isn't a possibility that's where we're at and it's about making our choices for our future and the future of our planet. And that's what we've decided to do. So it was you shifting from how much this costs to what will it cost not to do this. Yeah, And absolutely. I think that's what it comes down to. We did do a lot of work on the energetics around money as well, which I think has made a difference. All right, very quickly, because I've got to pick up Vida, all about you. Yes. The first one is a book that's changed your life, but you did already touch on that. Jim Quick, Limitless, and also I'd have to say Brian Wise, Many Lives, Many Masters. Me too. Uh, that opened up my horizon to past lives, and I even went and did past life regression. You did. Um, yeah. Yeah, that book changed my life um, in so many ways. What are you most enchanted by in a person? Definitely got to be passion and kindness. What's been your biggest lesson from the past 12 months? Awakening to all of the conditions of life and the way in which we are taught to believe is the ultimate way, black and white. And uh, I think one of the other biggest things is not to worry about what other people mm. believe about you. So judgment. I think there was an amazing thing I heard on your episode with Jay Shetty. I think I am who you believe I am. Mm. Or something like that. That was just really powerful, you know. So just, I do not, I'm going to swear, I don't give a fuck about what people think. You can swear, it's fine. Yeah, and that's been a big journey for both of us, the judgment thing. But it, it, what we've seen is that the more we move away from the fear of judgment of certain people that might not be the people that we need in our lives or the people that are on our path, the more we magnetise to us the people that are in alignment with us. And yeah don't judge us but see us for who we are and really see us and bring out the best in us where would you like to be in 10 years uh, i'd love to serve more it's one of the things that i really want to focus on i don't feel i serve a lot and there's a lot of lot of people that can help but for me i overcome limiting beliefs anxiety stress i'd love to work more with young people and teach them that there is another way that we can live our lives in, in more peace and harmony and you know that we, we don't have to follow convention and be in the rat race feeling that there's no other choices what's the best way to know who we really are sit with yourself in the silence one thing i would definitely recommend is take some time and leave your phone Mm. behind uh, go for a walk get out in nature or like i said just sit with yourself in a room but disconnect from your iphone or your android whatever you got okay i'm so glad we did that me what's too. the crunchiest thing about me that's what i wanted to ask oh you are throwing me a curve <laughs> vaginal steams vaginal steams i love yeah. my vaginal steams yeah. you love my vaginal steams i, lo I get love them. my vaginal steam hurts I, I get them and i'm all on board with it i know that you've got to show love to all parts of you, especially your vagina. But I think when you talk about vaginal steams on social media for that first time, I think that took me a little bit, especially especially when my dad asked me what vaginal steams were all about. <laughs> so that's that's that's, that's got to, to be on. be a crunchy. I do just want to say for you know for anyone looking to sort of 
delve into to, to this world and I know it can be overwhelming in a lot of places but a few people that I follow just to, to get me there as I said Dr. Joe Dispenza Jim Quick James Wedd More Than Mind Your Business with, um, podcast Jim Fortin Simon Sinek Brenny Brown Dr. Daniel Amen, John Gordon's a good one Lewis Howells oh there. excellent Michael Hyatt you know Try and find what resonates with you, but these guys uh, and girls are are pretty amazing to listen to. I love you. I'm I love you too, you. and Thank I have you. missed my appointment with the window people uh, by ten minutes. <laughs> oh so we better go. We better go. Okay, I'm gonna um, talk about some things in the intro of this episode. So if you have forwarded past that, make sure to go back to that and we can talk about some ways that you can bring perhaps your partner towards this sort of um, conscious way of living and sacred union. Thank you for being here. This episode of Reconditioned was brought to you with support by London's leading biological dentistry clinic, the Indu Clinic in Harley Street, a one-of-a-kind clinic that combines biological dentistry with functional medicine to optimize not only your dental health, but your general well-being. Using practices such as safe mercury removal, removal of root canals and hidden infections, treatment of inflammation, treatment of cavitations, and much more. Visit nduclinic.com and receive 10% off your initial consultation and any scans or hygienist appointment by letting them know you came through Lauren on the Reconditioned podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Recondition today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. And better still, if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content, that's what I'd really love. I just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health. For more free resources, visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com.